welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson and joining me as always Port Adelaide legend Warren Treadray. Treaders, how are you mate? I'm good mate, how are you? Yeah, good, good, good and we're going to start pretty locally with um, Port Adelaide looking to join the VFL. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? It was uh, it was flagged. Jeez, at the start of the year, I remember I was saying that I'd, I'd heard within three years now that the new TV deal done in the AFL and obviously that has shored up. God, when's that deal out? 32? Something along those. I think it's a seven-year extension when I already had two to go or something. So obviously the AFL has come out of COVID really good in a financial state and effectively their long-term plan would be to have all their AFL clubs play in a second-tier comp. Well, right now, as we stand, in the 2023 season that just finished, the Gold Coast Suns won the VFL the Victorian Footy League. So we know that the Swans play there, the Suns, the Brisbane Lions, um, uh, GWS. The only teams really missing are the South Australian teams and um, the Western Australian teams. Um, And realistically, probably the only real issue here out of those four teams is the Port Adelaide, who's historically a club from the sample, um, grew from a supporter supporter base of Alberton home games and um, won... 30-plus premierships in the Sandville before joining the AFL and winning a licence as an existing club is effectively flagging to the rest of the, the footy world that they want to join the VFL uh, for the start of the 2025 season. So this sort of created a, a bit of info on the last, probably the story was, what, the last three or so weeks mm. um, in South Australian footy. Um, and, and this is a bit where... Um, Port Adelaide, when they first wanted to join the comp back in 1990, was unsuccessful. Then again in 1996, we're happy to leave the sample. So the Port Adelaide Football Club enters the AFL, obviously plays under a different emblem, which is obviously the power um, mascot type thing, uh, added teal to their colours, obviously because they couldn't. But then at the time, the sample said, well, we can't have a Port Adelaide not in the competition. But since the uh, one club had been brought together, both clubs effectively before that time were acting um, in silos, not really associated with it, with each other other than fans that supported both clubs uh, because they couldn't part of the sample that was brought together and effectively the last, um, how many is a year? Eight years, six years, seven years has been yeah. um, effectively the Port Adelaide uh, reserves team uh, to the AFL team playing in the sample. So you know, with that, um, recruiting zones were gone and um, uh, ownership in the sample was gone, effectively being one of those clubs that owned them. So for me, this is a formality that's eventually going to happen. Um, the question a lot of fans would have is what happens to the Port Adelaide Magpie uh, umbrella? I suspect if they're playing in the sample competition from the outside, Collingwood has the Magpie, so maybe it's only used and maybe why Port Adelaide's board went so hard uh, over the last couple of years in getting that um, Prison Bar Guernsey to play in the AFL in the showdowns is probably one of the reasons why because they could foresee that if the, the National Reserves comp comes up, then effectively the Port Adelaide Prison Bar Jumper and Magpie's emblem with that um, would go away. Mm. I do wonder, because um, pretty well Southport in the uh, VFL, obviously from Queensland, they also wear the black and white 
So they've played against each other before and seems like there's been no problem. Yeah, well, and this is the this is the bit for obviously people inside the walls of the Port Adelaide board. Um, and um, I'm not privy to any of this information, so I'm only looking from the outside as a fan and I'm someone who loves their club. And I've always been a believer that, you know, you go back to any 70s game. I remember watching Malcolm Blight uh, playing for North Melbourne at a wet and sogged, um, uh, was it even, might have been at Princess Park, the game, or even been Victoria Park taking on Collingwood. And it was that muddy that you couldn't bloody tell between the blue and white vertical stripes or the Collingwood vertical stripe, <laughs> black and white vertical stripes. So oh, I don't think it's a big, big issue. Um, who knows? Collingwood might have something to say about that, but maybe it's a case that they might wear it um, against other teams at home or at Alberton or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's an issue for the Port Adelaide fan base, which I no doubt they throw, show uh, true to their, their cards, but I suspect that the Port Adelaide people involved in the footy club, senior managers, board, the whole lot would have a greater understanding of what this actually means. But um, yes, it's a sad day they leave the sample, but from the outside, I think it's fair to say that the Port Adelaide magpies I grew up loving and identifying and associating with, it's very different to the team that runs around in the sample now. They're restricted by who they can recruit. You can't only have a certain amount of points. When the AFL team does really well, historically, Port Adelaide and Adelaide do really well in the sample when they're hit by injuries or are redeveloping and they don't have those AFL-caliber players playing sample or second-tier footy, um, then they struggle too. So I think that's just a, a case of where Port is. And, and, and I think the reason why this is out now, I'm, I'm led to believe by some of the reporting out there that there had to be a 12-month clause uh, in the contract with the sample to identify um to them and give them notice that they planned on not being around uh, for the 2025 season. So I'm just curious, like, of the, of the supporters of the other eight traditional SNFL clubs, who are they going to hate now? Like, what does this do, like, for, <laughs> like, what does this do for tickets? What does this do for, like, bringing people through the gate? Like, what what's it going to do at SNFL level when Paul and inevitably Adelaide, who are apparently so following suit, go? Yeah, well, I think Adelaide, historically, conveniently, Adelaide have sat back very much like the Adelaide Oval deal many years ago. I know we're happy at Football Park going to stay here because obviously they'd spent, I think people have quoted $15 million in their whole new facility at the time. Well, now the Crows are looking to move from West Lakes because there is no stadium there anymore. There's still just a commercial oval and it's run by commercial in general who are the owners uh, of all that land and doing a big redevelopment very much for the Melbourne people to understand. It's very much like Waverley now, you know, mm. uh, but obviously in this process of building all the houses. So I think there's something like 1,100 houses over the next 10 years going up there. But, yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, the Crows are sitting back waiting for Port to do the running. Understandably, if you're Adelaide, you'd be doing that because you go, well, we've just played in this to have a reserves team. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we try hard. We try hard to win. But realistically, you don't. they don't compromise their AFL competition. And probably Port Adelaide's the classic example this year. They had probably four or five guys that might not play in the sample that week because there's a game in Perth a day later in Sunday. So, yeah, on the Sunday. So, you know, it's all about AFL um, development of players. And sure, you're wanting to win while you're there, but they also trial a few things. Whereas the North Adelaide's, which I was you know, privileged to be a part of a little bit, they're doing just a minor sort of coaching forwards role with Jacob Surge in there. Norwood, that is their be or an end or That is what their competition is there to win. They win the premiership and they want to dominate. It was seen what Glenelg have done um, certainly this year in the local comp. But as you say, taking out Port, Glenelg and Port 
arch rivals. Well, that won't be there anymore. Northern Port, massive arch rivals. Even Centrals, I think, associate with Port as an arch rival, and so too the Eagles. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic. The the big question then is the uh, broadcast rights from the uh, sample VFL and uh, Waffle. Uh, My understanding, I could be wrong now, but it as far as I'm aware, it's broadcast on seven in um, seven mate or whatever in all those different states, South Australia, Western Australia, um, Victoria. And also it's uh, produced and put together by Maguire Media. Um, so I would ass- can only assume that maybe if that's going forward, maybe a Maguire Media type person would still package that up um, in sample waffle or VFL, or do they just go to the, the VFL, the product, the demand? And as we know, there's an element with the sample that um, you know, I'm told that their biggest revenue source is funding from the AFL in terms of grassroots development, so development for young South Australians wanting to grow up, both men and women, to get to the AFL comp. There's a lot of funding that goes from the, the governing body to the local governing body in the sample. Um, and then also the high ratings are also associated either the top teams or with Port and or the Crows being broadcast. So there's going to be an interesting couple of years as that sort of finds its way. But what it would do is probably uncompromise a little bit of their competition, which I think is a tick for the traditional clubs, but then also for the AFL clubs. Then if you're in a case where the AFL can afford to fly teams in, Port play Richmond at the MCG, the curtain raiser is Port Adelaide, uh, VFL slash seconds team uh, playing against Richmond's team. Um, the Crows taking on Essendon at Adelaide Oval, for example, or Western West, West Coast playing Collingwood, um, you know, over at, at Optus Stadium in Perth. Um, those teams will play as a, a curtain raiser. Go, and, and that probably takes you back to the many years ago um, growing up as a kid. You know, going to watch mm. your local team playing. You know, you watch the twos before you play the A's and you can see who's playing well as in form as opposed to um, dealing with, a you know, the sample clubs having to deal with a team that's sort of, you know, main focus is performance, but more so development and getting their AFL team playing well. Yeah, that nostalgic hit is going to be very nice when that eventually does happen. Um, sticking with Port Adelaide, Zach Butters is the first uh, domino to fall in terms of the Port Adelaide contracts, um, extending until 2026. But um, so many free agencies on the card traders. What's that? Free agency? Yeah, with butters. Yeah, well, they're, they're, I think it's Smart Buys Management Group. Um, mm. um, and like, let's face it, there, there's a lot of word around that kind of Rosie will um, ink a, a really long-term deal, potentially seven years or more. Um, but this kid's a Victorian kid. Um, he's got one year on contract. I think they throw two more on till the end of 26. Um He's played, he's been loyal, he's committed, he's signed up, it's moved quick. And for Port Adelaide fans, it's an early Christmas present come true. So I wouldn't be concerned about the time zone in terms of only two years taking it to a total of three. Three years is still a decent commitment. In my day, it was like it was like a long-term mortgage, mate. Get three years, it's like, whew, that's good. We can lock that away now. Um, <laughs> obviously, some clubs will go longer. And if he, if he wanted longer, they would probably match dollar for dollar um, and year for year that, it, you know, that Connor Rosie would want. But realistically, he's a Victorian kid, family still in Victoria. He probably hasn't worked out where he wants to live post-footy, let alone what he wants to do post-footy. So you take him to that deal. He can always extend it any time he wants, but realistically, it takes him to free agency. And as we see, many people do that. Yep. Um, on the weekend, the AFLW um, grand final was decided with Brisbane defeating North Melbourne by 17 points. It was held at Icon Park. Um, 
houses, only what, 13,500 people. That's how many came through. Um, a lot of people missed out on tickets as well. So, like, the demand was there. So, why would the AFL not host it at its own ground at Marvel Stadium? Well, I'm just wondering if there's a contract in place. Um, mm. So, that's the thought and the, the first bit. But also from a TV number, yeah. Did they expect that people couldn't get in? No. Did they probably expect the two, well, not two, a first-time Victorian club base themselves and have that? When you were looking at the start, well, you're looking at the top two teams who were Adelaide and Melbourne and historically said they'd get to the grand final. So, you know, easy to see. Easy to see how it could have gone that way. Geez, it'd be amazing if it did get played at Marvel Stadium going forward. But Marvel Stadium hosts nearly 50,000 people, doesn't it? So it wouldn't have been the TV product that Icon Park showed. Yeah, I always love the old Princess Park. Yes, there's a massive development that wipes out half of the ground that Culling, uh, Carlton have done. Um, and it's really good for broadcast. So that's probably why they've done. But I don't think it's good where any situation where you're locking out fans. But you know, I think if we're getting to, what, 13,500 people for an AFLW uh, grand final with an interstate club, Brisbane, playing, um, I think it's a, a wonderful success for AFLW. And, and you know, yes... Did they get 100% right? No. Hindsight's always a wonderful thing. Mm. But, you know, if it was played between Adelaide, well, there's no doubt that it would have been uh, potentially Adelaide Oval. And as we saw, 50,000 fans a few years ago, I think it may have been pre-COVID when the Crows won a premiership. So you've also got to go to where the best facility is, given the likely uh, attendance uh, of the grand final. 100%. And we'll stick with women's sport. The netball paywall creditors it's over it is over so what's going on there so yeah got real rocky last week with the players association president joe weston breaking down to the press conference in tears um and then talks really hit on friday and then continue on saturday and that a resolution has been um reached um code sports reporting netball australia and the players association on a new cpa through to september 2026 so a main part of that agreement was a revenue sharing model with for sponsorship money, which exceeds projections, but it is also not reliant on the super netball comp breaking even. But both parties do agree that Netball Australia's debt, which is quite sizable, must be repaid first. So finally, our netballers get what they deserve in terms of pay. Yeah. Well, and this is common sense prevails. I think we've been talking about it on this podcast for quite some time, why yep. common sense hasn't prevailed. It was only, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Liz Ellis, which the Liz Ellis medal is, you know, the grand poobah of medals, you know, that is the the ultimate. Mm. And she only found out three weeks earlier. She had a conflict. She couldn't be there. She has also got involved on behalf of the players. Um, either she, I think she offered to be a board member or she had in the past to fix it. Because as we know, this goes back to end of the season, it finished with no pay deal. And it was got to a stage where then Netball Australia was using Australian representation at the World Cup as a proviso for signing this, the deal. It was a lot of heavy, heavy-handed tactics, which I get negotiations and negotiations. And the board is effectively liable for the game. You know, Collingwood pull out... Um, and then Craig Hutchinson has taken over a, a new licence. So things haven't been great. And also, too, they've been played out in the media, which doesn't look good. But some of the stuff and a little of the details that you've got here is you know, maximum base salary payment, 
um, currently at $655,000 and $690,000 will re- rise to $724,000 by 26. And, and that is per team, not per mm-hmm. individual, clearly. Mm. Um, minimum payments come up from five ninety to six eleven thousand. That is uh, marketing related uh, deals uh, double to the cap of 40000 per player and 160000 per team. So there's some scope to earn extra money. 10% increase uh, in honorarium for training partners in 2024. So also, too, there's a lot of people just get trained on contracts. So, mm. yeah, you're doing it for next to nothing. If you're working full-time, it's costing you money. And no doubt, a lot of those people are doing it for their love and also the opportunity to get somewhere. So, um, and there's an increase of a further 3% following two years. Um, and now teams are able to nominate an 11th player from a wider squad on a six-month $22,000 deal. So, there's no doubt that Finally, we've got to a situation where a partnership is involved. As they're saying, the key priority is priority is to pay back the debt, no yeah. doubt about that. Um, but also, too, now they're in a position to align sponsors. They're now in a position to go to market and to sort of promote the game. The players will get behind it because they want it to work. But mm. if the key people in any industry aren't being looked after, it's going to fall away. You, know, you exactly. look at AFL football, you look at cricket. If, if the key people who put their bodies on the line, and netball in this case, aren't looked after, then the game falls apart. And as we've seen, they've suffered millions of dollars in you know, reputational damage to the game just because the two parties, the players and, and officials, can't come to a fair deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, so thank God that has been solved. Something that's not been solved, though, Gold Coast don't want the Commonwealth Games either. It's like the unwanted games, Travis. How's this? Yeah, well, Tom Tate, um, who's the Gold Coast mayor, has pretty much said they wouldn't pursue a $700 million bid to host the Streamline 2026 games after it was failed to generate enough support. And when he says support, government and state government funding. Yep. Um, and everywhere you read around, in terms of Victoria, Dan Andrews pulls out on Com Games because of that cost. Um, and every uh, government, federal and, and state all around the world seems to be having spare pennies isn't isn't easy to come by. So this makes absolute sense. And when you look at, too, why is the federal and state government going to be funding the Gold Coast for the Com Games when we know that they're chased, they've got Brisbane for the uh, Olympic Games? Yeah. The, what, what's, what's the future of the Com Games sort of hold, do you reckon? Like, it looks like it's on its last legs. It's literally a se- it, basically second tier yep. compared to the Olympics, which we have got next year. Like, what what is the future going to be for it? Well, I think, yeah, I think it is sliding. And I've heard key people to go, well, you know, former Olympians say, yeah, well, this just tells you where things are at. I remember my earliest memories, Lisa Curry-Kenny was swimming, went back in the pool. Um, you know, uh, Debbie Flintoff-King dominated. I think it was the heptathlon as a kid in Auckland, I reckon it was, as a, just trying to remember at the top of my... Because <laughs> when you think, you know, and I'm older than you, I'm turning 45 soon. Back in my day, it was maybe the Crows just got on TV. You know, before that, you know, as I was 12 years of age, the sample was here, it was match of the round. Uh, highlights were shown from little bits and games. Like, you know, the young kid of today or the, the oldie like me, the plethora of sport on either free-to-air, pay TV, streaming, live on your phone, score updates, it's never been greater. So 
the thought is that, hey, you can watch NBA on a Saturday on Fox here on ESPN or you can watch the WBBL or you can watch um, any other different sport at any time live on KO or Fox or 7 or 9 or streaming or Stan or Netflix or Prime. You know, the situation is that the com games gets absorbed by everything else. And gone are the days where athletics and swimming used to rate its eyeballs off because it was great products, right? Um, and it really depends on how who's good in the world. Like if you went back in, and I can't remember if Usain Bolt ever really competed at a um, com games, but it, I remember us half a power did and it was like, wow, he's the best uh, runner in the world. And I think the Melbourne Commonwealth Games many years ago contracted him to come out and do that. You were seeing the best of the best at the Commonwealth Games. And we don't necessarily see that now because, Mm. you know, appearance money, funding, broadcasting, all that. And and let's face it, the Olympics is still good, but it's still only really a capture market of probably six months, six Mm. months leading into and then probably three months afterwards, and then all of a sudden the other sports that roll on an annual basis come in as well. So I think it's going to be a challenging period for it. Yeah, I do like the nostalgic trip there. Just like one of the days when you're watching the AFL and halftime, if you don't want to know the score, look away now, sort of. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's changed so much. Now we're, you know, we're, we're both recording on computers, right, mm. on online sh- streaming recording device to put a podcast other via um, video or audio. We've both got, Michael, um, weapons of mass destruction phones because all of a sudden it can ruin a person's career or not um, via social media. Everything is at our fingertips in an instant. And we whinge like I did before. Gosh, my internet's playing off at the moment. Well, it wasn't so long ago we were doing dial up. You hit your emails, go out for three hours, come back, and they still haven't downloaded. <laughs> oh, dear. What a time. And it was around that time that uh, Mark Cuban bought the Mavericks. So about 2000. And, um, He's now selling them for uh, just a just casual three point five billion US credits. He bought yeah, them, well, as that ten times he's made ten times and, and two, some yeah and some two hundred eighty five million he uh, paid to acquire the Mavericks and he has been you talk about being the face of a franchise yeah I know Dirk Nowitzki and um, uh, Luka Doncic more recently but yeah you know, Nowitzki won a, a championship. He was the main man, played his whole career there. But Mark Cuban has been the man who is the owner, who's been ejected, I don't know how many times, from cracking it at the refs. Um, <laughs> but what he has done is, you know, and and he's a very, very smart businessman. I think he does Shark Tank over in America, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. He's well regarded. He's got a public pace. He's very much sort of followed a little bit in the likes of uh, Donald Trump, if you talk about, you know, some of the TV shows he used to host back in the day, Apprentice and all that. Um, but, yeah, for him to pretty much uh, cash out. Um, not totally, though, um, because they still pretty much say he's going to run the basketball operations and oh. keep a minority stake. So he's a, he's effectively doing um, what they're doing at Manchester United with the new owner coming in there. So he's going to re- still run the operations. He'll still hire and fire and run this. But because of the um, ballooning in the licence, you know, the franchising costs, um, the fact that he's potentially able to cash out for three and a half billion US dollars, where he paid two hundred eighty-five million, he still keeps his um, keeps his stake in the club that he loves, and you know he's renovated locker rooms, players' five-star hotels, catered meals after practice and games, hired more coaches, staff. He's invested heavily, you know, even bought a seven-five-seven jet for team flights. You now he won that championship, as we mentioned back in twenty eleven. Um, you know, and Mavericks were fourteenth for attendance. You know, back in 20, 
you know, 2000 now to 2021, uh, sorry, 2000, 2001 season, um, the Mavericks were 14th for attendance. Now they're first. So he's got the business singing. So any smart businessman, he's taken away the emotion and said, well, this is a good time to cash out. Basketball's a crazy business, isn't it? Especially and, NBA. And he's still the decision maker on hiring and firing and everything. Mm, he's done it right, hasn't he? <laughs> oh, 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 good on him. Yeah, no, good on him. I, I'm a big fan of Mark Cuban. Always been a big fan of Mark Cuban. Um, something that hasn't had mixed feelings is the NBA in-season tournament, but it's paid off. It has paid off big time. Trends, How? That... How? Because, mate, I get a migraine watching the screen. Oh, do you? Yeah, because Jeez. when they paint it, the Lakers paint it bright yellow through the middle and everyone else, I'm like, my eyes aren't that good. They're, they're falling apart by the day. Oh, yeah, that, that does wrong with a lot of people. But the league set a new record for attendance in the month of November with just under 20K attending each game. But the viewers also trends. They're all also up as well. The Kings-Warriors game averaged 2 million viewers on TNT, a 93% increase from 2022's comparable window. Maybe the, maybe they were just blinded that they couldn't actually change the channel because the courts have just scorched yeah, their pro- eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, they've probably got a migraine and just closed it down and had a sleep for the night. But I must... Submit. I've had it on regularly here um, at, at my house where my son's obviously telling me, look at this score, look at this box score. And next minute they're out playing basketball and then they're back inside doing it. But let's face it, it's an in-season tournament that's still part of the season. Mm. So they put up a bit extra cash. It's a bit more blingy, if it is possible, for the NBA. And I, I questioned it. Do I really like it? It doesn't compromise. But mm. it's made... More revenue. If TNT are getting two million views, you know what I mean, an average, and that's a ninety-three percent increase. Who wins? The yeah, competition, exactly. the players, and the fans. So you'd have to say it's a tick. Do I like the brightness and the bling of it? Probably not. But you know, to 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 effectively, it was done to make sexy a pretty boring part of the mm. NBA season, and it's worked. Good on them. It. How long before the AFL tries this, do you reckon? <laughs> well, how could you? That's exactly it. They'll, they'll be finding ways to do it. They'll yeah. be finding well, ways well, to do well, it. Well, do you? Does Gather Around become a a month in June where highest month. scores or I, I don't know. You know, these are the things like Gather Around we would have laughed at two years ago, wouldn't we? Mm. You know what I mean? We would have laughed at the NRL going to Vegas to play games. Now, we're also seeing now the AFL splitting the first round over two weeks. Yep. So anything is possible. And I, and I like the fact that sporting organisations all around the world are doing different things. Yeah. I still no, think there's improvement. Like the fact that the Aussie cricketers have gone from Test World Championship to Ashes, then into T20 World, uh, sorry, 50 over World Cup, one, and now there's still a T20 tournament in India, I would have thought maybe they don't need that last one. But mm. I think throwing new ideas at a dartboard, yeah, you've yeah. got to be moving forward. And that's what I like about world sport at the moment. They're not going to get it right all the time. And yes, they're going to get slung it on podcasts like this if they don't get it right or wrong. But as you say, for something that the NBA, I didn't think I'd be interested in, it's worked. So they'll be doing it again. Yep. And if someone has an update on where Travis Head is, please let us know. Um, Tiger Woods and Nike are set to split, Treaders. Yeah, th- this is really, really interesting um, because the No Lying Up podcast, right, mm. which is a golf podcast, has 
pretty much nailed a lot of the goss around players joining live live coming about live fighting with the pga heading to court not they're pretty much a really good source of getting info if you're a real golf nut so to think that when i grew up and i'm a bit older than you a lot older than you um hello um the tiger woods would be splitting from nike you just go no way in the world Mm. um they came together what 1996. Yeah, they pretty much signed 20. him as a, yeah as a kid, just as he turned pro. Um, and in that time, Nike's golf business from they weren't a, a sportswear giant, right? That really were in the Nike space until it was Tiger. Mm. Um, and we go back in a bit of a history. Thing I remember speaking to some people at Nike, and I was sponsored by Nike when I played um, played Aussie Rules. And I remember talking to one of their guys who I had a 20-year association with and won't say names, but he's a ripping bloke. Anyone who knows Nike, and I'll say it first name, George. Um, anyone who knows Nike will know who I'm talking about. He's an absolute ripper. No longer at Nike, obviously, um, retired and um, gone on to retirement. So uh, good on him. Um, he'll be joining a red and having fun. Um, but he was involved with um, when Nike Global went and got Shane Warne for Nike. Um so Nike went to go, I'm going to get into cricket. This guy is a game changer. He went and went Bo Jackson. Remember when uh, Warney went and met uh, Michael Jordan? All those types of things. But then after a period of time, after a first contract, obviously they wanted to get involved in cricket. And then cricket didn't probably really take off for him. Nike was wearing the, he was wearing the Nike shoes. You remember the ads? It was all unbelievable. But for me, this is an interesting case because Nike went massive into golf. We remember what Nike wants to do with their athletes. We've seen it with Roger Federer. We've seen it with all the athletes. You never or very, very, very rarely see a Nike athlete with, for example, a golfer. You won't see him with a Nike swoosh with a tightless branding on their shoulder or anything. Mm. When Nike do stuff, it, they do it clean skin. They want it to do it themselves. So when, for example, when I signed a contract, you'd wear Nike boots and casually you wear all Nike gear. Even to a stage that you couldn't even do your own Oakley sunglass deal if you wanted to. You you wore Nike sunglasses because that's what they want. When they want to get an athlete or a brand, they want the whole thing. And that's what Tiger Woods did. I remember early days he was, I reckon he might have been with Callaway Golf Clubs or even TaylorMade Golf Clubs early days. Nike then went into the stage of actually making Nike golf gear, golf balls. Um, I had a hit of golf at a local course two weeks ago and there were still golf balls Um in my bag, I won't tell you that when I put my shoes on, my heel fell off. That's how long since I've played, <laughs> over 10 years. Um, but they were doing footwear, Nike-specific s- footwear, Nike golf clubs, Nike drivers, Nike everything, bags, the whole lot. But as we've known since 2016, Nike have not made clubs. So Tiger Woods has effectively been used um, using tailor-made clubs, which are a well-known club. Um, tailor-made don't have the apparel that Nike do. Um, Woods even went away from wearing the Nike footwear, obviously with injuries, to foot joy, foot joy footwear. Um, and as you say, they've, they've paid him hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars. But even to a stage now, as we've seen with the likes of Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, they're Nike athletes, but Nike not using Nike clubs. So maybe this is a change that Nike's going, you know what, we're just going to be an apparel club and we can do this element of golf stuff, or are we actually going to fall out of the system? And as we know, there's many people that change and jump over, but if there's one person that's iconic, I'd assume that it's probably potential for a lifetime deal. You look at the Roger Federer effectively had a uh, lifetime deal and then went off to 
um, I reckon it was Uniqlo, was it? The um, the Chinese manufacturer. Um, you even see Rafael Nadal was Nike. You know, Leighton Hewitt was Nike and then went off to someone else at the end. But for one, you'd actually think it was someone's going to be there, Nike, for the rest of their life. Uh, you'd think it was Tiger Woods. But by all reports, um, they're saying that the PWE Championship coming up could be the last time he uh, dons the famous swoosh. How crazy is that? Yeah. Since signing him as a 20-year-old in 1996, so for the entirety of my life, he's been paid hundreds of billions of dollars by Nike. Yeah. He's an e yeah, and it was amazing, isn't it? You go, well, it was t- you don't have to think as a kid what a Tiger Woods wear back in the day because you knew he was Nike from head to toe and Absolutely. in his club bag and on the balls that he uses and the tees and the whole lot. Yeah. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo, another iconic sporting name. He's a bit up a certain creek with, a no, with no paddle by the looks of it. Yeah, well, he's been paid absolutely fortune by Binance and anyone who's involved in crypto. Binance was, I think, up there with FTX before they went broke, one of the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges. So you, effectively, if you're buying crypto, you'd put your cash, Aussie dollars, transfer it into Binance, buy your crypto, and then obviously put it on your cold wallet or leave it in their account. So so the cryptocurrency exchange, which last month pleaded guilty to some federal charges for anti-money laundering and unlicensed money transmitting. So should allegedly cost the Real Madrid and Manchester United legend a billion dollars, people are saying. So Sportico's reporting a group of investors who purchased what they describe as unregistered securities from Binance uh, sued Ronaldo in the Miami Federal Court because they're blaming him, claiming that they actually bought them after being exposed to Ronaldo's misrepresentations and omissions about Binance. So he's effectively a commercial ambassador or a sponsorship Mm. deal. But because the sponsorship or what he was endorsing didn't go well, well, then he's facing a potential lawsuit of a million dollars. So it's unbelievable, isn't it? So maybe this is the precursor for, for the, the changing of the world of sport. And, and this podcast is about business and sport is to say, hey, if you're going to be an athlete who just takes money and, you know, and this company comes out mm. to be um, in some strife for anti-money laundering or unlicensed money transmitting or along those lines or, you know, discriminatory or whatever, then you could be on the hook because effectively you are promoting this to people. This is an interesting one. And if it is found to be the case and against Ronaldo, it sort of opens Pandora's box to, hey, Mm. is a footwear company being acting ethically? Bang. Who are these athletes that promote this footwear company? Is a banking company acting ethically? If you're promoting a bank and that bank has seemed to be, you know, not 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 being ethically sound or acting within the laws, you could be. So th- this could be Pandora's box. Look out. Uh, yeah, I think a federal court did throw out some last year with uh, Kim Kardashian was also thrown in there. So, yeah, that, that was thrown out. So I imagine that might go this way, but we'll see what happens. Well, it could be. But as you say, this is the potential things looking at anyone to say, hey, if you're going to go and promote this product and you don't really know much about it or you haven't done your due diligence, then that's not to say that this is the case. This is the simple, you know, like, like any sporting club, if they were to sign a sponsor and push this sponsor to their fans and, the, and it works out that it's not great, then, you know, everyone's accountable to any decisions they make. Yeah, we'll go into Amazon picking up the ICC stuff. Um, so for Australian audiences, um, all, all the ICC events will be on Amazon and there'll be none on free-to-air traders. None. Yeah, well, this is the interesting bit, isn't it? So these anti-siphoning laws that the federal government put in, they have to be offered and was to be a free-to-air component. So I suspect that 
there will might be some make weight deal, mm. but as we've seen previously, the um, some of the deals, the recent World Cup deals, the one that just finished was um, obviously with Fox and Nine was a broadcast um, off the back, and that, and I think Fox did the deal with um, uh, Star in India. So Star in India is the big one um, broadcast, and even when you go back to when Michael Clark. Um, lifted the World Cup here, 50-over World Cup here in Australia, I think 13 or 14, um, the international rules, uh, the international rights were owned by Star. And at the time, the Nine Network purchased the games off Star that they wanted to broadcast. So Indian cricket walks a lot of this, but this is interesting. So for the first time ever, really, is that Amazon has pushed Star, which is effectively uh, owned by Disney, used to be owned by Murdoch Corporation, mm-hmm. um, sorry, uh, News Corporation, Um is going to own it and own it outright. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one goes. Yeah, there's a lot of events. There's World Cups, Test Championships. There's heaps of stuff in the ODIs. There's all sorts that are going to be exclusive. Amazon. 20 World Cups, men's and women's, the whole lot. So Yeah, everything. Uh, yeah, absolutely everything. And, and you suspect, too, um, there'd be a free-to-air broadcaster around that would want to piggyback onto the back of that, similar to what, you know, uh, Channel Nine recently did um, with Sky Sports in terms of the Ashes that recently went happen. So you yeah. you suspect that one of the free to airs will jump up and and try and broadcast um, and effectively take the feed from the international coverage and Amazon what they're putting to air. Yeah. Now, Trez, we do like to end with something a bit quirky, and I do have something for you. Yes. What Babe, do you got? The Babe Ruth rookie card from nineteen fourteen. Yeah. So has him playing for the uh, minor league Baltimore News has sold at auction for seven point two million bucks. So it is the most expensive Babe Ruth memorabilia and third most expensive baseball card ever sold. Wow! What's the most ex- the most expensive? Saying you're giving me the third. Yeah, that's yeah. third. So it just fell short seven point two five paid for the T two hundred and six Honus Wagner last year. And yeah. the record is $12.6 million paid for a 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie card only in 2022 as well. Who's got so, that money to buy a card? Uh, and I suspect that the card would have to be in an oxygen-sealed hard oh. case so no one can touch it or a block or built into a, I don't know, a pool fence that you can put in your house. So, so no one – like, this is just ridiculous. I'll tell you who does have the money. Mark Cuban. <laughs> That's true. Do you reckon he would have bought it? No, oh, I, I have no idea. But um, for anybody wanting a signed Warren Treadray card from 2005, meet you at the front of Westlake's Coles. Um, a farmer's Union nice coffee would do the deal. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, I don't like uh, iced coffee. Are you saying you've got my card, are you? I, I've got the card and I want the iced coffee. I think it's a fair deal. Jeez, you're a cheap date. <laughs> With that... Thanks for listening, guys. Like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.